Welcome, everybody, and happy holidays to another edition of Franklin Faith Forum. I'm Jay Horrigan, one of your hosts, and I'm sitting right alongside Pandora Carlucci. How are you, Pandora? I am doing well. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. Life is good. That's awesome. That's awesome. How were your holidays? Absolutely lovely. Uh, We had a nice time seeing family and friends, and I baked panettone. First time and many loaves. It was was really a fabulous experience and, and delicious. What is it? It's a round Italian holiday bread, usually served at Christmas and Easter, and it has dried fruits in it, like apricots and pineapple. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to bring it up to my wife uh, because she bakes, she spends all of December, we have more Christmas cookies all over the place until I heard the fruit part of it. So uh, that won't be brought up to her at all. So how is everything else going? Everything is fine. And how are you? And how were your holidays? Mine were great. We had a real nice Christmas, real nice New Year's. Busy. I uh, had family up for Christmas Day. Had uh, Both kids were at home. It was, was awesome. So we do, I have, and this is for our faith leaders that are with us today, and I'm going to start it off, not our normal, I have a question for something that I just saw. If you could explain to me what is an ethical tree service? Because I just saw a truck in a driveway that the name of the company says ethical tree service. I figured I I break it to our people who understand and know ethics. And we'll start with Rabbi since he's <laughs> looking up at the ceiling going, what is he talking about? What are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> I've that, seen that truck. Have you? I have. What does and that I've been mean? curious. I would guess that it's about um, not just clear cutting for us to develop and stuff, but but about really honoring the trees, trimming them as necessary, but gently. I don't, I don't know. Or seeing where they fall naturally and cutting them up then. But I would say it's it's. Less about the man with the saw yeah. and more about the tree. <laughs> and maybe— that, I'm just guessing, though. Maybe And that, and that might tie in with our conversation later, right? They, yeah. they Maybe it is just—I don't know. They, they don't—like you said, I like the explanation. They don't just go through and cut down everything. So, um, Dorian, why don't you start? Let us know how things are going with you since you were the one who answered the <laughs> critical ethical tree service so things are going very well for me personally and at Franklin Federated Church. Yes, that's the one. Um, we had some beautiful services on the 24th. We had a 10 a.m. service with a, what I call a pickup pageant. So the only one with any lines was me. And otherwise, we called people forward to put on a simple con- uh, costume and stand and make a little tableau of the nativity. And I had this cool backdrop that looks like a barn. So it, so it was very stable looking. And so many people engaged. It was a lot of fun. And, of course, you sing a lot of Christmas carols. And then Christmas Eve, we had our typical lessons and carols with candlelight, and it was lovely. And we're looking forward to, we have our annual meeting the first Sunday in February. So we're in that period now of looking back over the year, having each committee and officer write reports, and I have to write a report. So just looking back and see all that we've accomplished together and to start think about thinking about the future and where you know, Franklin Federated is being called to serve in the community and, you know, how to shift as the landscape of church changes, right? Because that's happening everywhere. So it's exciting. And it's, um, again, I feel like it's, it's a great community to work with. The thrift shop is still thriving. And yeah, we look forward to serving the community more through that. Awesome. That's great. Uh, Rabbi Tom. I think I actually have an answer to this one, unlike the last one. <laughs> though, though I did some research in the break, but we yeah. move on. Um, so um, things are good. Hanukkah um, was nice. We uh, There was serious baking at our house. To, well, cooking at our house, I should say. I, I made We made latkes for hamantash and potato pancakes, uh, traditional Hanukkah food, which tasted wonderful. And I'm pleased to report that now about a month later, the smell of the onions has finally left. (laughs) Um, 
we had a, a wonderful uh, Hanukkah lighting ceremony out at the uh, at Beaver Pond, uh, and uh, people from all over the community came in. We set little uh, uh, votive candles out on uh, on. Uh, I still think Boats. my candle won, but then I heard it was not a race. <laughs> yes, we, that, that, that was impressive competitiveness, as we discussed in a previous conversation that was not on this. But anyway, yes, your candle was very good. And um, then actually on uh, Christmas Eve, I went to a couple of uh, uh, services because I had nothing to do on Sunday night, and you all did, so I... Uh, joined, among other things, uh, 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 the Franklin Federated Service, which was wonderful and a lot of fun. And, uh, and now um, we're moving on. Our next holiday coming up is Tubishvat, which will show up in conversations later today. Oh, and one other thing. We are um, giving out ribbons for people to tie on their trees uh, as a... As a uh, reminder for the hostages who are still being held in Gaza. So um, uh, if anyone wants one, just contact the temple and we have them. That's awesome. And uh, how can they contact the temple? The easiest way is to drop me an email, rabbi.alpert, A-L-P-E-R-T, at temple, T-E-M-P-L-E, dash, etzhaim, E-T-Z, C-H-A-I-M, You can also do it through the Interfaith Council website and just send a general email to the temple and it will get there. The Interfaith Council website is... (laughs) FranklinInterfaith.org And um, are there links, if I remember... Yes, if you yeah. go to the Interface so Council website, they can website, just go to your, your kind of in, and get in touch with you through that. Correct. Or get, in, obviously, like Correct. you said, anybody, and they'll right. get it. They through. can email me personally directly through the address I gave you a minute ago, um, which I'm – this will probably be recorded, so you'll be able to listen to that later. Uh, or just as easily go to the Interfaith Council website, franklininterfaith.org, and click on the temple's name, and that will get you to, to – how to contact the temple and just send a general email. And uh, in any event, we will be able to get to you. Yes, and it's actually, excuse me, fairly easy to do because I just did it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a good sign. It's good to have those two different options also. Yes. So if you're somebody who's more um, URL kind of a person, you can go through the website, or if you're an email person, right. you, you can follow that process. So thank you for the options. It's sure. great. And thank you for uh, making this available to the Franklin community. That's a, a very thank good you. thing. That is. Yeah, that's great. And I, I see that you have uh, a bunch of them with you now. Well, I have one with me, but uh, you all can fight over it. <laughs> <laughs> Pandora would win. And uh, well, Anyway, we have plenty more at the temple. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jacob, Pastor Jacob, tell us what's going on with you. You just uh, came back from a very intense skiing vacation. <laughs> a couple of days. Yeah. Also, Christmas with extended family. One of the challenges of being a clergy person is often celebrating holidays after the fact. And so while my immediately family got to celebrate Christmas as a family unit on Christmas Day, gathering with this extended family had to wait until the week after. So a nice time with family. Things that are going on at the Franklin United Methodist Church, uh, as I mentioned in our last recording, the work on the sanctuary ceiling is ongoing uh, and should be done hopefully the end of this work. However, there are additional projects we hope to line up in quick succession in in order to just um, manage downtime of that room. Uh, so just know that, that that is an ongoing opportunity. It's not so much a challenge. We just have to do things a little bit different in our facility while that work is going on. Uh, in terms of, of program and worship, we're in kind of a downtime between Christmas and the start of Lent. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, which is February 14th. Uh, there will be another recording, so I'll be able to share. Doreen and I will be able to share opportunities for Lent and Easter at our next recording. But we are going through in this downtime some very—I'm excited about the services coming up. So on Sunday, January 7th, we'll be doing 
uh, our annual covenant renewal service, which is a Wesleyan Methodist tradition of uh, taking one or taking a service and rededicating yourself to your faith. Uh, being very intentional and explicit about that it revolves around a, a prayer that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wrote called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's an easy Google search and you'll find it. And then starting on January 14th, we're going to be doing whatever, however many Sundays are between January 14th and the first Sunday of Lent, going through the letters of John. There are three very short letters of John at the end of the Christian scriptures we'll be going through um, together. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what's, what's going on. It's a nice kind of breather time as we gather our feet for Lent and Easter. I also just want to note what a what a hub the Methodist Church is for the humanitarian crisis efforts that they they house all the clothing donations, sort through things, make sure that they get uh, distributed at the hotel. And uh, Jacob has been absolutely steadfast and uh, has shown such leadership through that. There's, I really appreciate you. And then just a quick update on that. Thank you for bringing that Perfect. up. Um, we will continue ongoing sorting of donations uh, at the church uh, and are continuing to call for donations, which should all be brought to the church. No donations should go to uh, the shelter or the hotel at all. They all come to the church, and those calls for donations and the, um, the, the call for volunteers can all be found on the Franklin Interfaith website. If you scroll to the bottom of the website, you'll see uh, all of the posts about uh, the shelter and our statements, et cetera, you can find find it there. I do also want to say that um, some of our listeners may have been receiving direct emails from uh, info at franklininterfaith.org about the shelter. Those emails um, are going to cease, and people, in order to continue receiving updates about the shelter and the interfaith council in general should subscribe directly to the website which is at the bottom of of the page it's just a lot to manage to have to send out all those different areas when the blessings of our website will do it for us so if you have been receiving those emails or even if you haven't please do subscribe to the interfaith council website you can get um you can target your subscription. So if you are interested in the local humanitarian aid efforts, which include the shelter, you can subscribe just to that portion of the posts. Or if you are interested in the rest, the statements, the news, et cetera, then you can subscribe to all of it. So please do um, take a moment and visit the website and subscribe. And, and what's the website address again? Franklininterfaith.org. <laughs> And it is, again, extremely easy. I just found it. And uh, you have your updates. But the best thing about it was when I put my email in and hit subscribe, I got like all this confetti and everything <laughs> that blew up on the screen. So that right there, that made my day. The so party thank you on your for screen. that. And that's a great update. I was going to ask you on the uh humanitarian stuff, the clothes, and, and I know you and I had talked about that. That is, I think, the work that all of you are doing with that, besides being, I'm sure, overwhelming, is just so great to see. The generosity of the town of Franklin and beyond has been, has really been the overwhelming thing in a, mm. in a very positive way. It's really been incredible. Um, not only with donations, but also financial contributions as well. I, I will say just as another general update, we are transitioning in January. So January, February, March, we'll see some transitions on how we distribute items to the shelter because uh, the needs have adapted and changed. But also we are beginning to think about spring as well. And so there's different clothing options that are needed as we move into warmer or begin to think about warmer weather. I love that you're thinking about warmer weather. Yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> if someone was going to drop off um, clothing or items of need that you had listed on the website, they pull into the parking lot, the church is on your right. Is there a particular area? Is there a sign? Is there some indication that you should leave the materials at a particular place? All donations should be left inside the building. 
So when you come to the main entrance of the building, which is on the side, go in the glass door and there's a big bin with a sign that has the header for the Love Franklin Emergency Shelter Humanitarian Aid. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Because yeah. sometimes you do, you arrive at a destination and you're uncertain as to the next step. That is perfect. And please don't leave, please, please don't leave it outside the door um, because the building is used for many things and that just blocks access for other users of the facility. Thank you. That's a lot. Yes, it it's is. And I've also seen your updates on Facebook. Is that going to cease also? No, that goes through, that will continue. That goes through the website. Okay. Thank you. You know what, what, it made me think, you know, you folks, I think, have a great, uh, with the Interfaith Council, a great way of getting information out there to people and access to information if people want it. Again, I found it. If I can find it, anybody can find it. I was thinking, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but I was on LinkedIn. And I know, Jacob, you use... LinkedIn a lot for your sermons. I know I get notices when you post. What brought you to do that? And I know we're not even close to our topic, but it was something that I was thinking about. I Well, you're just full of all kinds of different topics today, Jay. <laughs> Who would have thought? By the way, this is it for well, yeah. the year for okay. me. Um, I, so the use of social media is important for any religious leader and any organization to use to connect with others. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are great ways of connecting organizations and individuals together. LinkedIn is a great way to connect professionals and network that way. Uh, and so I use, use LinkedIn as a, as a way to connect personally with other professionals in a variety of fields. And I think everyone should do that because it is a great way of reaching out and spreading the word on the good work that we do as individuals, but also the organizations we're connected to. I think it's a, a great seeing your videos up there. Um, it's it's really neat to see. You can listen to them when you have time. So, okay, Pandora, take over before I uh, get into <laughs> who knows where I'm going now. So. Well, just to finish that up, I'll say thank you for using LinkedIn. It goes back to meeting people where they are. And some people might only use LinkedIn, or you're in a different mindset when you use LinkedIn as opposed to Instagram. So it's, it's great, as you said, um, to use social media. Even though we seem to have been around the globe on our conversation <laughs> this morning, which I don't know what it signals for the new year, but I'm going to say it's good. And so each, each month we try to have a, a different theme. Our faith leaders identify the theme, and they share with Jay and I um, some probing questions that give us an idea of what the conversation uh, may look like or how uh, the potential it has to unfold and, and what to be thinking about as we come to the radio station to talk to all of you who listen. And our outline for this show had as the leading thought, nearly all religions recognize creation as a gift from God and acknowledge that humankind has some responsibility for sharing these gifts. Yet, surveys show that the less religious people are, the more they are concerned about the environment. What might be the reasons for that? All kinds of thoughts start to populate, I think, in everyone's mind. And Reverend Doreen is the thinking person behind uh, this month's uh, uh, discussion, and so we'll we'll begin with her uh, to kind of tell us what what she was thinking, and maybe what caused you to come up with this as as our thinking point for for this month and our our conversation. Because uh, just as myself receiving the email, reading this, lots of thoughts began to populate. So uh, I'm really looking forward to using the lens of faith to address this issue. That's of such great importance. So, Reverend Doreen, would you lead us off? Thank you. Yes, Pandora. So, this social justice team at Franklin Federated Church has had environmental justice and climate justice as a on the forefront for a long time, and and we probably overwhelm the congregation with articles and tips and what to do and so forth. And and the United Church of Christ, uh, the denomination that I'm ordained in, also has a, a big focus on environmental 
issues. And, um, you know, just from what I read, the, the world is on fire in a big way, that it, that it is a severe crisis. We're at a point where we can't avoid some, some serious negative consequences. Um, and it's just, to me, it seems that, that re- religious institutions are late to the party, so to speak, to, to addressing this concern. And I think um, that some some of our belief systems and, and theology actually contributed to the problems along the way. So I, I just, I want to lift up that I think many religious institutions are joining, you know, getting on, on board and understanding that, that the actions of humans have caused problems for the environment. Um, and just to talk about some of the, the different ways we see that. Do you think any, you said that you're kind of late to the party. I, I would think it seems like everybody was late to this party. Mm. What, what, is there something specific? Well, well I think, again, that, that, that article that I read that said the less religious people are, the more concerned they are about the environment. And, and so I think that there's something maybe about, well, this is all in God's hands. We don't have to worry so much about it or, or even some of the scripture that says that can be interpreted different ways. But one is that we have dominion over, over nature, over creation. And so that has been misused, I think, to, to bend it to our will rather than being in, in right relationship with the environment. And I think people who are, are less religious focused maybe are more willing to look at the science of it and the facts of it and, and address it from that place. I think, I mean, I think there might be a couple of reasons why those who, who are tangentially religious or not religious at all may be more climate focused. One is just statistics. There's more <laughs> like that's a growing number of yeah. individuals in the United States. So that's just it's kind of a low hanging fruit, but it's worth mentioning here. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other, and I, I actually think this is a big concern, and this will be the drama I'll happily be in response to almost every question you wrote out for today, Doreen, <laughs> and that is there has been a deep compartmentalization of, regardless of the mm-hmm. faith, but this is very much true in Christianity. That is, my faith is about my soul and my mm-hmm. individual self and mm-hmm. has very few ramifications beyond using a nice evangelical kind of phrase, my personal salvation. Mm -hmm. And if it's all just about my personal salvation, what the heck does the rest of it matter? Mm -hmm. Let it all burn to the ground. Right, right. And I I think that lack of social responsibility, um, or it it may not be intentional, it may not be so intentional. It may just be, it's all about my personal salvation and just let the rest be and run its course. It may not be so mm-hmm. negative and let it burn down kind of mentality. I think that is uh, a huge problem. So it's just not on people's radar. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not something that the church, the synagogue, or the mosque, I can't talk about the rest of them, but that's not something that the church has reigned to speak about. Mm-hmm. And we, and there are a lot of other topics, by the way, that kind of fall into this category as well. I disagree with that idea. Mm-hmm. I think you probably do too. Um, but I think that compartmentalization of faith is a huge, huge reason why most Christians, it's just not not part of their verbiage, not part of their thought process, and they definitely don't necessarily link it to their faith. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I would say that another part of the story has to do with um, the fact that institutions that have a fairly big set of things that they deal with move slowly at dealing with new things. And, you know, certainly in Judaism, we've been along for a long, long time dealing with all kinds of matters. And for most of that time, the thought that we might have any control over the environment was, that just wasn't possible. What was there you could do? So didn't even think about it. It's like the weather, as it were. Can't change it. Well, you can change, as it turns out. We do change it. And uh, as people have become more and more aware of that, I think that, you know, certainly in Judaism, and my suspicion is in, in Christianity as well, and, and, and I suspect in Islam, which I know even less, is that they're finding their resources within our traditions that enable us to say something about this, but that they were sort of, you know, buried under there. They, they didn't get 
brought out into the light very much. And now I think what we're finding is that certainly in the Jewish world, there are plenty of, of uh, Jewish environmental groups, I, you know, that, that are, are, are seeing the importance of talking about this and are involved. Um, but, you know, it's all fairly late. As to the polling numbers, I suspect it has something to do with the makeup of what is considered religious in American society and different issues that my colleagues could talk about better than I could about, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're such a tiny proportion of the American uh, numbers that we don't tend to, to, to move the scale very much as Jews, but so... Um, I think these are probably things within Christianity that there could be reasons for that may not have much to do with what any of the three of us are going to be talking about as our views as to what uh, um, the environment and, and religion are about. The finding the verbiage within the tradition, and when this topic was brought up, one of the things, I'll, I'll never f- forget this moment, and it, um, it was because uh, it, it was eye-opening for me. So there's great debate on how to in um, how to translate Genesis 1-1. Yes. And um, the way that I grew up hearing that scripture read was uh, in the beginning God created. Mm-hmm. That is all that was created has been. And it just kind of works. I'll never forget and uh, the taking Hebrew Bible and seminary and having to read from the Jewish Publication Society translation of the Hebrew Scriptures was the first time I was exposed to the translation of Genesis 1-1, which says, in the beginning, God began to create. That's such a subtle difference, um, but leaves creation and the work of creation open-ended. Mm-hmm. And then enters into the story that humans have creative powers as well. That's That might be part of God, the, the likeness of God that have, has been imbued on humanity is the ability to create or destroy. Um, but I, that verbiage, that being able to link creation care to certain passages can, you know, translations of scripture that we read matter. Mm-hmm. And many of the newer Christian scripture tradition um, translations, there is at least a footnote now that will say this can also be translated as in the beginning when God began to create, um, if it hasn't swapped it out completely at this point. Um, but I think that there is verbiage within our traditions. Sometimes we have to find it. We might think it was a, we may f- learn that we've been looking at translations that weren't as nuanced as maybe they should have been. Um, but I do think that verbiage is there for sure. Um, we just have to to dig for it and find it. And, of course, that whole Genesis 1 poem or song of, you know, God created and it was good and it was good and it was good. So I think all of that lifts up the, the mindset we need to have towards towards the plants and the animals and the skies and so forth, that, that it, it was all good. It is all good. And without meaning to push the discussion too far forward, Mm -hmm. but in the next chapter of Genesis, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we get to God's command to Adam that uh, translated God placed uh, uh, Adam, placed the first human, uh, and uh, God took the first human and placed him uh, in the the Garden of Eden. Lavda ulishmora, to work it, and to guard it, and that we are, that, that, in other words, what we have been assigned to do from the beginning is not just to work the land, but also to take care of it, to guard it. We are, it's, you know, we are the stewards of the earth, and it's, says, it says it right there, and that's our job. Now, earlier in the conversation, Doreen had said that at at the Federated Church, there are different social justice, environmental justice groups um, addressing, you know, uh, different issues, whether they are in Franklin or in the Commonwealth or beyond. Do either one of you have that at, at, uh, at Tempo or at the United Methodist Church? Do you have kind of a 
any kind of a focus either, you know, outside of, um, inside or outside, however it would, would be. Um, I, I would open it up to either of you. So, sure. You know, I've spoken about this. We have a social justice group that uh, is interested and involved. We do uh, uh, their programs throughout the year uh, where their environmental themes get brought into various religious celebrations. Um, you know, there are, we're, we're, they're, we're connected with the, the, the Jewish Climate uh, Action Network of Massachusetts that does work on this. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot more we can and should be doing, but we're doing things. We don't have a um, social justice or climate-focused group specifically uh, at the Franklin United Methodist Church. We do at the upper levels, though, of our denomination. So regionally, we have a creation care staff person within our um, conference. For those that aren't familiar with that verbiage, the judicatory, similar to the diocese, whatever language you want, the regional body of the United Methodist Church has that, and same at the denominational level as well, you know, core documents of, of the tradition. We've, it is not, it, you know, it's been something that has been a challenge for us. We're in a 150-year-old building of how do you take climate justice seriously mm -hmm. in an antique structure? Um, and that's a that's a challenge. I will say I felt really good um, being on the Franklin community aggregation thing because mm -hmm. yeah. um, the old contract was 100% renewable. But for those that don't know, the current contract that we switched over to recently is only 40% renewable and not 100% renewable, um, which most people, that's a subtle thing. Most people maybe didn't realize that that change happened, which stinks um <laughs> because that's the best you know that's yeah. the best rate um so with there but it's things we've considered you know what do solar panels look like on the church is that a is that a viable fiscal option when we talk about climate justice there's this fine line and struggling nonprofits or nonprofits that work on a shoestring budget of what's financially viable in addition to socially responsible um, and then it, it, there's also there's only so much individuals or small groups can do to to impact the climate at this point. The, the larger things have to be legislative and and more at the larger corporate level, and that's where it can get political. And that might be another reason why religious institutions, you know, are a little more wary about this. And I think it's less a case. I can remember. I think it was my first year of, as a minister, 15 years ago, and I focused a whole worship service around climate problems and, and, and I got a lot of pushback that that's political, you shouldn't be talking about that here. I think I think it's more widely accepted that the planet's in trouble and we need to at least be able to talk about it. Um, but but I think that might be a reason is that is that so much of what's gonna make a difference is political and that's hard for churches to get too close to. Though I've generally come to believe that whenever someone says something is political, that means I disagree with it. <laughs> Very few people say something is political about something they agree with. I, I like the fact that you, you talked about the 150-year-old building because it allowed for conversations among your uh, membership in the congregation um, in a safe environment. They could ask questions. I'm sure people have asked questions as to, you know, is this environmentally the best way? We hear about environmental justice neighborhoods. We hear about the need for more shade trees. Yet we're also conscious of where do we put them so that they stay safe in storms. I mean, there are a lot of decisions to make. Can we still protect the integrity of a historic structure and apply solar panels? Are there ways to do that? And, and it helps us to learn within our churches using that lens and and not conflicting with the greater any uh as you said you you um reverend doreen you got in the political conversation trying to keep it with the faith focus do you find that that's helpful to your congregations to have a, a place to raise those questions I, in my because we don't have a formal group that would be raising these issues if those 
things were to be raised, we would raise them in a formal board meeting or on individual individual basis. I, I do think, you know, t- maybe taking away from like s- solar panels, I w- wouldn't say when we were at our last interfaith council meeting was at the Universalist Church, mm-hmm. first. Oh, I always get F U S F. First Franklin. First, no, first Universalist Society of Franklin. There you go. First Universalist Society of Franklin. Sorry, sorry, Rev Bev. I hope you'll <laughs> forgive me if you listen to this. Um, I noticed when we were sitting, uh, having our meeting in their foyer, they had, I think it was stated as a climate pledge, and it talked about that they would compost after their fellowship meals, use reusable uh, utensils to serve. You know, there are there are there are subtle things that we can do that I think people are welcome to. They just have to be, you have to bring it up. So for mm-hmm. instance, you know, the use of star, do you use styrofoam cups because they're convenient or do you use a ceramic mug that has to be washed and can be reused for forever until my daughter or I drop it, <laughs> you know? Um, I think bringing those up in whatever form one can is helpful. And most people are, um, are generally open to it. And certainly having the social justice team as a place for people who are concerned, and, and in my congregation there are several people who are deeply concerned about the environment, so to have this place to go and talk about things, to brainstorm ideas, to, to try to bring it to the wider congregation. But I would say the response of the wider congregation, it's not negative, but but we don't hear feedback. Oh, thanks for this. You know, oh, I'm, I've tried this challenge. I would say that it's, it's a low percentage of people who are not on the committee to, to um, and again, they might take some of the suggestions, they might follow through, but they don't follow through with us to tell us how that's gone. Uh, so it's the kind of thing you can engage or not. It, uh, I find it, it all very interesting because you're right about the political part of it, and it's, you know, things have gotten so fractured these days. You're, it's hard to talk about anything political because... You don't want to end up in a disagreement or a shouting match with people and you're afraid of of that happening. But what are, are you folks able to take things from your various religions, scriptures, things like that to indicate what should be done or what could be done? And, and I'm sure I'm phrasing that totally wrong. I didn't want to read directly off the page because I didn't have my glasses on. so I think it's a very fair yeah. question because, indeed, uh, my, my comment earlier about my, my sort of flip comment about politics, well, I still believe it. Um, it, it. It's always felt to me that it's important that politics is how we get things done in a group society, but that my background, my training, my expertise is not figuring out how to write the, a, a particular bill or something like that. That's somebody else's mm-hmm. ability. My job is to look at what my tradition teaches and see how that then gets play, put into action in the world. So for instance, just to pick an example, um, there is a text in Deuteronomy, which, uh, thank you for asking, I'll read to you, um, <laughs> which says, when in your war against a city you have to besiege it a long time in order to capture it, you must not destroy its trees, wielding the axe against them. You may eat of them, but you must not cut them down. Are trees of the field human to withdraw before you into the besieged city? Only trees that you know do not yield food may be destroyed. You may cut them down for constructing siege works against the city that is waging war on you until it has been reduced. Okay, so what that's saying is you're having a siege. You need to do the, to, to build siege works. So you've got to get the trees that are handy. Well, the, if, if they're not fruit-bearing trees, sure, fine. You've got to conduct your war. Presumably it's a just war. You wouldn't be conducting it, is the assumption. But now you've come, now you hit a fruit tree. Can you cut that down? No, because you've got other trees you can use. And what you're doing is just wasting when you're destroying that tree. And so there is an entire concept in Jewish law called uh, 
lo tashchit or bal tashchit, which basically means don't waste things. And it goes from, and so it starts with that, but then it goes on to say, um, if you uh, operate a lamp inefficiently, you're violating this law. So in other words, if you are wasting energy, um, if you're um, if you're doing any sort of willful destruction, you are wasting. If you um, if you don't get the idea that you have a limited footprint on this earth, and the more and if you take a big chunk of that, you are wasting what we have as our communal resources. So from this relatively small text, you can build up a large set of rules, many of which in Judaism have been around for a long time and again just needed to be kind of brought up again, um, that says, um, no, you are not free to just push yourself in everywhere and uh, who cares about the consequences. This is God does not want you to do this. And we have text that says that. Uh, and that, uh, you know, that's as much of a sin as anything else you could imagine. That's just one. I have certainly found the Christian scriptures lacking in terms of guidance for for environmental or creation justice. Um, you know, Jesus destroys a fig tree. There's there's nowhere I would that I've been able to find that that talks a lot. Other again, other than the creation um, narratives that that say to honor it, um, and and I think there are some other faiths. Again, I'm no expert at all, but I know in Buddhism, they honor every sentient being as equal, every sentient being. So it's not that humans are on the top and we are the stewards or we are the dominators or whatever it is, but it's all, it's all one. And then um, there's a book by an indigenous woman who just had a profound impact on, on my thinking about creation. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She is, uh, again, an indigenous woman. I, can find her the name of her tribe and she's also a scientist um, a botanist and a professor and she writes about the mutuality uh, you know if we think about taking the trees we want for whatever we need we might be misunderstanding it might be that the tree is offering us that that the tree is providing for us and that and it's so obvious the way that nature provides for us and stewards us and takes care of us. And it's meant to be a reciprocal relationship, right? So she, she has uh, little vignettes all through the book. So it's not a book you have to read from beginning to end, but you can just pick a chapter and find some wisdom. But, you know, pruning a bed of plants helps them. They, they, they need us to do that for them rather than being left on their own. But if we take too much, we ruin it also. So there's this balance, but there's a, a mutuality and a, and a giving, and so giving thanks to the ways nature provides for us instead of feeling entitled to it in any way, or, or again, reframing that we are taking instead to we are receiving, we are receiving from nature's bounty. And, and I just think a lot of other spiritualities like that do it better than what Christianity has, and, and I'm happy to, to draw from the wisdom that's available. So yes, braiding sweet grass, I'm going to put on a plug for that. I, I would agree. I don't you know, I think one would be hard pressed to find as specific instruction as what Rabbi Albert has mentioned. It doesn't mean that it's not there nuanced, though. And I would lift up, you know, probably the, one of the most quoted Christian scriptures there is in John three sixteen, <clears throat> and that's God so loved the world, not God so loved Jacob or whoever else, right? But the world, there is this notion that salvation comes not just to individuals, but the entirety of creation uh, and a looking toward the renewal of all that is. Paul mm. picks up that in Romans 8 when he talks about the creation being frustrated by the sinfulness of humanity. And he says, it's, it's Romans um, 8, 19, the whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. In other words, and, and the rest of the chapter, or the rest of that little um, 
Prickaby talks about, um, you know, it was, it was humanity and our sinfulness that frustrates creation. And so the creation waits breathlessly for God's sons and daughters basically to step up and make it right. Lacking all, by the way, real help and instructions on what that looks like um, in very practical ways. But nonetheless, that idea of this waiting with hope for a renewed creation is very much there. But I will say um, this kind of comes down to a couple questions. But one of the major heresies that Christianity still suffers with is the um, it's a second century heresy called Gnosticism. And in essence, Gnosticism basically says the material world is not only bad, but the source of all evil. And um, the way this gets interpreted into Christianity is, is Jesus comes to lift the spirit out of the evil world. And um, that was, by the way, deemed a heresy. So that's not official Christian teaching. We look toward the redemption of the material world. Um, but we struggle with, we still struggle with those ideals 2000, you know, 1900 years later, this idea that the spirit and the material is separate. And I think there has been a resurgence in contemporary Christian Christianity in particular, and perhaps even all religious traditions of at least having to deal with the link between the spiritual and the material and that our spiritual health and the health of the creation are much more linked than what we maybe assumed in in the past. I think this has been a really um, interesting and mind-stretching discussion because we've, when you first read about the environment, I'm thinking social justice neighborhoods, social justice, you know, initiatives related to climate, related to food, I didn't think about the, the vast breadth and scope of where our discussion went today. I hoped that that's what would happen because the three of you delve into scripture, delve into your faith practices and help us to connect these dots in our own way as we each one looks at life in our community of Franklin and personally. And and Jay, did you feel that same kind of you know, like, I, as, as you were saying that, Pandora, and, and as Jacob was speaking, one of the thoughts that came across is, I'm going to say we, but you and I have nothing to do with it. We come up with this outline every month. And this, I would say, overall, at least as a beginning outline, was one of the smaller ones. Yet, we normally get through the entire thing. There's, there's still two or three more things that we could get into that uh, Doreen had written down, had sent us all. It, it's just I find it interesting that something that you think isn't going to take up all that time or becomes such a massive topic and, and massive, not, not in weight, but in just different directions it could go in. And as always that faith leaders are great at kind of taking us down the, the various paths. So, yeah, it's a, it, it is, uh, it, we all know, and it's funny, before we started recording, we were talking about the possibility of basically getting snow for the first time in two years, which, you know, reading a couple of articles, that should, as much as I dislike snow, that should frighten some people that it's been two years since we've gotten more than an inch or an inch and a half of snow. Yeah. Kind of uh, mind-boggling, at least it for is. me. It, it is. It, it's a lot to think of and process. And, and maybe as we work our way through this year, we could circle back to this because it gives us a chance to think, reflect, go back to your respective houses of worship and kind of revisit this subject because I think there's going to be... if. As Jay said, the first snowstorm in in uh, in two years, and we look at the storms that are happening on the West Coast mm. that are just unheard of. Uh, there is a lot for us to think about and process. So maybe six, seven months through the year, we might circle back to this subject and see, you know, was there, did anything 
anybody listening to us <laughs> did, did comments perk percolate percol up or percolate up through the um, uh, the web and but, it's also uh, something that I think is somewhat I don't know if generational is the right term but you know like people my parents age and then my age group have never really thought about the whole environment as a whole you know as the entire kind of age group I know when me and my friends get together we don't sit there talking about the environment but you talk with younger people they're very aware of it they're very involved with it and granted it's going to have more of an impact on them because theoretically they're here longer but i i just find that whole part interesting too and and wonder and this has to be for a different time because we could go on forever how you folks and all religions deal with that because it's not just the environment. There are so many topics that are, are handled differently between people, say, of our generation and then I think of my kids' generation. So just another light thought to uh, move along with. Well, as um, thank you, Jay. That, that was <laughs> you helped to bring a little bit of closure to that, and I, and I appreciate it. It's still leaving the door open for future conversation. Uh, as we do every... Uh, month we we bring the um, discussion to a close and we have a reflection or a story or a learning opportunity and um, this morning uh, Rabbi Tom is is going to uh, lead us in this so this is from a text called um, Ecclesiastes Rabbah it is a midrash that is a rabbinic reflection on uh, uh, biblical text, um, and this was written 300, 400, 500, sometime around those years. Um, and it's, it tells a story that when God, um, when the Holy One, blessed be God, created the first human beings, then God took them and showed them all the trees in the Garden of Eden and said, look at my creations, how beautiful and and remarkable they are. And then God said, make certain that you do not ruin and destroy my world, for if you destroy it, there will be no one to fix it after you. And I think that's something that all of us can benefit from remembering. That is great. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm proclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a powerful. It absolutely is. Sure. All right. Any, any other words before we bring this to a close? Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> well. And thank you, Pandora and thank Jay. You. Yes. Thank you. Well, and thank our, you. Thank you. And Keith. It, to Keith. It is. I. I don't mean to speak for Keith and Pandora, but I. I just feel lucky to be involved. I was telling someone else how we start. Kind of started this. A few years ago, in, in the middle of a really difficult time for everybody, and it's just, I think, for me, I've been lucky to be involved because it opens up such a different avenue of my, I was going to say my mind, but there's some people that would argue whether or not there is a mind in there, but different ways of thinking, so I, we thank you. I, I, I know I can speak for Keith and Pandora about that. It's we feel privileged to be able to just be a part of it on a monthly basis. We do. And for all those listening, don't forget to go to the Franklin Interfaith website. It's a source of links. You can visit houses of worship. You can gain information about the humanitarian effort and more. <laughs>